You know, you uh, really have to be living in another planet not to recognize that alcoholism is a big problem in this country. What is even more distressing is the rise of alcoholism among teenagers. The Surgeon General of the United States office said that there are about 20.7 million middle schoolers who drink at least once a week. There are 67 millions in America who have had to cope with alcoholism in one form or another. The economic cost alone of alcoholism is well over $200 billion a year. 50% of college students admit to being binge drinkers. Drunk driving is responsible for 20,000 deaths every year and 300,000 injuries, to say nothing of how many diseases that are directly related to alcoholism. Now, I know people give all sorts of excuses and all sorts of reasons for why they get intoxicated. Some say that they like the feeling of being out of control. Others say that they like this opportunity to temporarily forget their sorrows and their pain and their anxiety and their fear. But the problem, my beloved friends, is this, that temporary escape leads to worse problems. Temporary escape never permanently solve any of the problems. Uh, This temporary escape hinders a person from dealing with the very root of the problem. In fact, it multiplies the problem. Let me read to you what a member of the AA have said, because he really put it better than I can, or anybody else can for that matter. He said, I drank for happiness. I became unhappy. I drank for sociability. I became argumentative. I drank for sophistication. I became obnoxious. I drank for friendship. I made enemies. I drank for sleep. I awakened without rest. I drank for strength. I felt weak. I drank for relaxation. I got the shakes. I drank for bravery. I became afraid. I drank to make conversation easier. I slurred my speech. I drank to forget. I was forever haunted. I drank for freedom. I became a slave. I drank to erase problems. I saw them multiply. I drank to cope with life, and I invited death. I could not have put it better myself. A dear friend of mine who, as they like to call themselves, recovering alcoholic, told me, he said, for years I believed the lie that I could not live without that drink. And once I realized that's a lie, God gave me victory. Beloved, that's exactly why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, I hope you turn to it already, Verses 18, 19, 20, 21. That's why particularly in verse 18, he contrasts the intoxication with alcohol with the power of the Holy Spirit and the inner feeling of the Holy Spirit. It is, as it were, a contrast between two spirits. That spirit depresses you. Oh, but the Holy Spirit elates you. That spirit will destroy your liver. 
but the Holy Spirit strengthens your heart. <laughs> that Spirit costs you a fortune, but the Holy Spirit blesses you a thousandfold. That Spirit multiplies your pain, but the Holy Spirit heals you. That Spirit will give you hangover, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit will comfort you. That Spirit will temporarily deceive you into happiness, but the Holy Spirit gives you true joy. That's the contrast that the Apostle Paul is drawing here. In fact, Paul has given us two contrasts in the last message. He was contrasting foolishness with wisdom, darkness with light. And then he immediately goes into this contrast as if to say that darkness and foolishness is the mark of drunkenness, but being filled with the Holy Spirit is the mark of wisdom and light. I want you to listen to me very carefully because I can feel some of you already bristling. Christians have argued and debated drinking alcohol and for 2,000 years. Ever since the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians about eating and drinking, believers and Christians and denominations and churches have debated that whole question of drinking alcohol ever since that time. There are denominations that have certain rules one way or the other. In fact, many of us remember the anecdotes, we remember the jokes of how Baptists do not recognize each other in the liquor store. <laughs> and back in the 50s, when the Episcopal Church allowed people to have a social drink, that was their idea of church growth. <laughs> because whenever you find four Episcopalian, there you'll find a fifth. As a matter of fact, I can tell you that this tension that this subject causes, it really is sometimes not only causes tension but hypocrisy too. There was a pastor who picked up the phone one day, and the lady on the other side of the phone said, please send six bottles of vodka to the house immediately. Well, he recognized that she's one of his members. And he didn't know what to do. Finally, he gently and quietly said, well, this is your pastor. Well, he thought she will apologize for dialing the wrong number and then hang up or something. But no, with indignation and with anger, she retorted, pastor, what are you doing in a liquor store? <laughs> well, <laughs> all this to say... <laughs> that I'm not interested in adding my views to all of the views that have been given through the years in Christian denominations and Christian associations and Christian organizations. All I want to do is to tell you what the Scripture said. I want to tell you what the Bible said. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here in the Ephesians, he's not talking about drinking, he's talking about drunkenness. That's what the word means. And that's why I wanted to focus on the Scripture, on the Word of God. If you miss this point, you miss the whole text. If you don't understand the context of Ephesians, you will not understand the rest of the passage. In the pagan culture from which all of the Christians in Ephesus came out of, in that pagan culture, drunkenness was so closely associated with their pagan worship. In fact, this type of drunkenness, which led to ecstasy and to sexual immorality. And it, it's supposed to have made them one with their gods. 
In fact, paganism thought that drunkenness and ecstasy and sexual immorality gave them religious fulfillment. And that's the context of Paul was talking about here in Ephesians. And that is why he says, now that you are Christians, now that you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need not come under the influence of alcohol and lose your senses, but come, rather, be under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Drunkenness in pagan worship caused you to lose control. Oh, but the filling of the Holy Spirit will give you a sober mind. Drunkenness in paganism depresses you because alcohol is a depressant, but being filled with the Holy Spirit is a stimulation to good judgment. Drunkenness dehumanizes people, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit will make you Christ-like. Drunkenness numbs the very center of your brain, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom, understanding, and discernment, and good judgment, and balance and power. That's what he's saying here. And so the question, I'm sure, in the mind of every one of you is, well, how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can you become filled with the Holy Spirit? Before I answer that question, I want to make sure that you know what the filling of the Holy Spirit is not. Can you say, is not? not. Now, I got five nots. And every time I come to one, I'm going to ask you, and I want to say, is not. First one is that the inner filling of the Holy Spirit is not being zapped and voila, now you have become a super Christian, a first-class Christian. That is not the filling of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 tells, makes it very clear that every Christian is indwelt of the Holy Spirit. But we know that not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, to be filled with the Holy Spirit the same as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because every believer must be baptized with the Holy Spirit because how can you say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit being in you? So it is not the same. The fact that some believers quench the Holy Spirit, the fact that some believers grieve the Holy Spirit, it does not stop them from still being baptized and dwelled with the Holy Spirit. Number four. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, the same as being sealed with the Holy Spirit. You see, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's a concept that Paul uses, that when people were, want to ensure the high quality of their merchandise, they sealed the owner's name on the merchandise so nobody can sell you a second-rate stuff and say, well, this is made by so-and-so. So, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is basically God declaring His ownership of the believers. That's ownership. So, in a filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same as being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Fine, number five. The filling of the Holy Spirit, getting the Holy Spirit in installments. You get a bit of the Holy Spirit today, and then you get another part of Him tomorrow, and then you get another part the day after. You get a day next month, next year. Every time you feel spiritual, you got a little bit of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. God does not parcel out the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, the Bible never commands us to be baptized, indwelt, or sealed by the Holy Spirit. Do you know why? Because that's God's job. He is the one who baptizes us. He is the one who seals us with the Holy Spirit. That is not a command. When a person comes to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith and in trusting Him as the Savior and Lord of his and her life, God sealed them with the Holy Spirit. That's God's job. That's God's work. But the command in Ephesians 5, 18 is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command here. Ephesians 5, 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to stop for a moment and give you a grammar lesson. Okay, you ready for some grammar? The command here is what the grammatarian call it, the imperative mood and the passive voice. The imperative mood and the passive voice. This is very important. And if you're flying grammar, don't, don't miss this one, okay? What does it mean? Here's what it means. Listen carefully. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It is not one option among other options. No. It is a command. That's what the imperative mood means. It's a command. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Listen to me. It means that you cannot fulfill God's will in your life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that you cannot daily obey the Word of God and the command of God and the will of God in your life without constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that you cannot faithfully serve God with all of your heart and with all of your mind without constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means that you cannot confidently resist temptation every time and receive victory from His hand unless you're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot submit to one another, as we see here in verse 21. We cannot have peace with one another. We cannot, in honor, preferring one another. We cannot, in humility, consider others greater than ourselves without being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean? How do you go about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen carefully. It means of being totally under the control of the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, day by day. I wake up every morning as a Lord, you own me lock, stock, and barrel. You own me 100%. I belong to you. Lord, I come totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then I do that throughout the day, not just once a day. But you know and I know that we fail. You and I know that we stumble and we fall. You and I know that sometimes we say things we wish we didn't say or wish we can take it back. We did things that we're not proud of. I know that. But listen to me very carefully. Hear me right on this one. You can never stay in your failure when you are totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. You won't stay there. Although every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, every Christian is baptized of the Holy Spirit, every Christian is sealed by the Holy Spirit, but sadly, not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is why we have weak churches around the place. Thousands of people going to church. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You see, that is why it's an imperative mood. It is not just the privileged few. It is for every believer in Jesus Christ must be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to be truly serving the living God, whoever you are. But you say, how come? How come? Unless daily I come under his power until moment by moment I come under his total control. I can tell you, unless we do that, we become defeated Christians. And that is why there are defeated Christians all over the place. Well, I can't do this, or I can't do this, or I can't. No, 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 no. It's that you won't do that. A friend of mine told me one time, he said, you know, Michael, I, said, I, I, I do that 7 o'clock in the morning, every morning. I said, Lord, here are car keys. You drive my life. I'm going to sit in the passenger seat. But he said, by 9 o'clock, I'm in the driver's seat. I said, that's all right. Just do that again on 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> do that every time. Every time you're tempted to take control. Every time you do it, it's okay. We all face it. We just say, Lord, okay, I'm going to stop right now. I'm about to take control, and I don't want to. Back to you, Lord. You see, the reason this command is in the imperative mood is because it's a must. It's a must. The reason this command is in the passive voice is because all you need to do is to be willing. Just say, Lord, here it is. I give you me. Fill me. And do it again and again and again and constantly. Listen, every married couple understand what I'm about to say. Every married couple understand that the strength of our marriage is not in what happened in the past. No. The strength of our marriage is not what's going to happen in the future. No, my beloved friend. The strength of your marriage, the strength of my marriage is in now, is in the present. And it's the same thing with the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is not what happened in the past or what you did in the past and what you experienced in the past. No. It is not what you hope is going to happen in the future. No. It is now. It is now. And then the next now. And then the next now until Jesus comes. Submitting now. Surrendering now. Be filled now. But there's something very important here I don't want you to miss about the inner filling of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss it. The inner filling of the Holy Spirit, some of the old timers used to say, well, you know, the inner filling of the Holy Spirit is like a glass filled with water. It was empty and now filled with water. Well, actually, that is not exactly what the word means. This is too static. What the word means about being filled with the Holy Spirit is exactly will be the same as when the wind fills the sails of a boat or ship and moves it along. That's what it really means. It's like the soul penetrating deep into the food and make it tasteful. It, it, it is like when we sometimes we use the word and say, this person is filled with sorrow. This person is filled with anger. This person is filled with fear. What do we mean by that? We mean that this person is totally immersed in that emotion. And that's what it means here. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be totally dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And to be filled and totally dominated by the Holy Spirit means what? Means what? Listen carefully. A continuous, consistently filled of the Holy Spirit means you're continuously conscious of the presence of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Now I want you to think about this. 
okay? Being totally conscious of the personal presence of Jesus in the car when you are all alone. You know, when the kids with teenagers and they go on dates, not only our kids, but also their friends used to be here at church and they come hang out around the house and, and I always tell them when they tell me they're going on a date and I said, now just remember, Jesus is sitting between you and your date. <laughs> and they used to tell me it always ruined their dates. <laughs> and I was happy. <laughs> Being filled with the Holy Spirit is being totally conscious of the personal presence of Jesus when you are traveling on the road. Nobody knows you. It is being totally conscious of the presence, personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when you are making that crucial decision. Finally, the Apostle Paul tells us about the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you will always have a song in your heart and on your lips. I know some of you don't like music, but listen to me. I want you to think again. I really do. I plead with you. Think again. Because that's what you're going to do in heaven. You're going to have a hard time over there. When you're constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with praise. You'll be filled with thanksgiving, even in the tough times in your life. Amen. Verse 19, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, of course, the, in the Bible, in the Psalms particularly, there are some songs that are designed for us to sing to one another. Did you know that? Let us worship the Lord. Let's come to him before thanksgiving. Let's bow before him. This is a song. The psalmist is say, exalting one another to worship and come to the Lord. But then there are songs that are designed to just honor and praise the Lord. Blessed be you, you our Lord. Glory to your name, O Lord. Those are songs that are designed to honor and praise the Lord. Listen to me carefully, please. I know some of you get hung up on the technicality of music. Now, I don't understand it, so I don't get hung up on it. <laughs> Some of you get hung up on the style of music. Listen, <laughs> I met somebody who said, you know, those old hymns, they were inspired. Did you know that Charles Wesley got these tunes out of the bars? <laughs> he said, when the people believe in Jesus and repent and come to church, he wants them to be familiar with the tunes. That's how those, those, those songs came from. I honestly tell you, I love all the songs, the old and new, the, I don't care what kind of song. I mean, if it is biblically sound, if it is, if it is honoring to the Lord, if it is praising and thanking the Lord, let me tell you something, I'm going to sing it until I deafen everybody around me, and I do. That's why they don't sit around me. <laughs> Whether you can carry the tune in a bucket or not, it has nothing to do with that. God wants you to praise Him. He wants you to thank Him. He wants you to lift up His name. You know, when the Lord lays something on my heart to pray for, and I'm become conscious of the fact that it's consistent with the Word of God and consistent with the will of God, I don't even offer petitions. I just keep thanking God. I haven't seen it, but I thank God. It might be years away. I'm thanking God for it. Remember Jesus when he stood there before Lazarus' tomb? I just read it in my Bible devotions this week. He said, I thank you, Father, for you always hear me. 
Thank him ahead of time. I'm going to tell you this as I conclude. It's a legend. It's from the medieval time, and it goes something like this. The Lord sent two angels to the earth to gather the prayers of his people. He assigned one angel to gather up all the petitions, and the other angel was supposed to gather all of the thankfulness, all the thanksgivings. And the legend goes on to say that the angel who was supposed to bring all the petitions could not carry all of them in one trip. But the angel who was supposed to gather the thanksgivings carried them all in one hand. There's a lot of truth to that. If you praise God with all of your heart and with the same might that you do when you're desperately praying for something, I promise you, you'll be the greatest prayer warrior that ever lived. And so I want to pose the question to you. Am I one of those people who only go to God in prayer when I needed something from Him? Or do I praise Him and I thank Him even when I don't have obscene answers to prayer? You know, every parent will understand what I'm about to tell you. We all love and we're delighted and there's joy in our hearts when we see our children thankful and grateful when you do something for them. And they're always by nature, just always thankful, always grateful. Just think of the delight that brings to your heart as a parent. And that's what happens when you are thankful, praising the Lord Jesus, it brings delight and joy to his heart. Being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit is a command for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, his children, every one of them. There may be somebody here today who have not taken the first step yet, have never come to the point of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, for repenting of their sins and ask for His forgiveness and become reborn of the Spirit of God. We can do that today. Father, what an honor, what a privilege to be called children of the living God. Lord, You are so gracious and we're so ungrateful at times, Lord, and I confess that of me. And Lord, I rejoice in all of Your goodness and mercy and grace. And Father, I thank You that You invite us to Your table as a reminder that without the death of Jesus, we wouldn't be here today, that we probably wouldn't be living today. And so we thank You, Father, for that incredible sacrifice. And we pray that He be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.